Thank you, Dad. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 76. Psalm 76, continuing our study through the Psalms of Asaph. Psalms chapter number 76. I'm titling the, the study tonight, Worship and Reassurance. We talked about worship and perspective from Psalm 73. Worship and grief from Psalm 74. Worship and vindication from Psalm 75. And now we're on worship and reassurance. I will um, warn you that tonight's psalm, Psalm 76, and next Wednesday's psalm, Psalm 77, is dealing with, with two of the very same themes. And uh, so next week we'll probably call it worship and remembrance. Um, it, it just takes on a, a little different nuance. But, but if, if two chapters, if, if the editors chose to put two of these songs next to each other, there's a purpose in that. And I think that repetition is always powerful in Scripture. And so tonight and, and next week is, is going to really carry a lot of the same theme, but, but just with a little bit different uh, flavor to it. Have you ever gotten to a point, been in a season of life, in a situation of life, uh, where you just needed a little reassurance? Meaning you just needed to know everything was going to be okay. Maybe in your mind you, you pretty much knew that. But you're, there's this thing in the back of your mind that, that is causing a little bit of worry and anxiety. You just need, you just need somebody to tell you that everything's going to be okay. Uh, you know, where that happens for me most often is on airplanes and roller coasters. Anything high and fast, I don't do very well with. So when I'm on airplanes, um, I, maybe I'm half a dozen times a year or something like that. Um, and and I get in, we get into turbulence. You know, not just a little bit, but bad turbulence. I mean, I, I know in the back of my mind, everything's cool. It's just part of flying, all of that. But I'm just telling you, I, I, I am waiting for the pilot to get on there and say everything's okay. Just caught a little turbulence, we'll be out of this soon. Am I the only one that is thinking that? I'm like looking out the window, make sure the, the, the engines are on fire. Make sure both wings are still there. Things like that. Um, and then roller coasters. You know what, what really helps me on roller coasters? I don't really ride them anymore because I get sick. I get sick. Um, but, but growing up, I was always peer pressured to riding roller coasters. And then you go to these amusement parks and you stand in line, right? And, and if you're scared already, standing in line and watching it and hearing the, the clink, clink, clink sound over and over, it just makes you more nervous and more nervous. But one thing that, that I started learning that really helped my mental psyche waiting in line for a roller coaster that gave me reassurance is when I would see like the 10-year-old girls walk off the ride. And it just reassured me, man, if that little girl can do it, I'm 16 years old. I think I can handle this. I'm good. I, I think I, I got this. And, and, and maybe there are some more serious situations that, that you carry to church with you tonight, perhaps. Maybe situations that you're in even right now where you're like, man, if I could just have a little reassurance that everything's going to be okay, life would be a lot better for me right now. In fact, I have found that many times people come to church for that very reason. So you might find yourself here for that very reason. I, I just, maybe you just needed to hear a song. Maybe you're just hoping in the message God speaks to you or, or you're talking to some godly friends or something reassures you, hey, everything is going to be okay. That's where the people of God found themselves in Psalm 76. They needed some reassurance. Now, if you've been with us for the duration of this study, uh, I, I want to point out that Psalm 76 is closely connected to the two Psalms before it. Psalm 74, as we studied, is a prayer song that, that laments the desecration of the temple when the armies of Babylon, led by King Nebuchadnezzar, came in and, and seized Jerusalem. 
Uh, the psalm asks the question, it's really the theme of the song, is they're lamenting, they're asking God, how long are you going to allow this to happen and still do nothing about it? We talked about that. Psalm 75 answers their question. And it argues that God's hand of judgment will indeed be stretched out. He will indeed make things right, but he will do it in his time and not according to anybody's agendas but his own. Then we get to Psalm 76, and it continues the response to their lament in Psalms 74 over losing the temple by, by giving. This song gives them a little reassurance. This song was written to reassure God's people, hey, everything is going to be okay. And how Asaph does this is he studies God's character in the past. And by understanding what God did in the past for his people, they can be reassured that he can do the same for them in the present. So the reassurance, watch here, that Asaph wanted to give God's people, I think can be summed up in four words and two sentences. And if you don't take anything else home tonight, take these two sentences home. God has, God can. Would you say that out loud? God has, God can. Say it one more time. God has, God can. And that's really our outline for tonight. Asaph, through his prayer song, wanted to reassure God's people that because God has fought for them in the past, because God has protected them in the past, because God has thrown down their enemies in the past, he can do it again. Hey, everything is going to be okay because God has means that God can. And maybe that's what some of you need to hear tonight because in the situation you find yourself in, that's the very question that's on your mind. Can God? Can God come through for me? Can God provide for me? Can God enable me? Can God fight for me? Can God make things right for me? Can God answer my prayer? Can God heal me? Can God forgive me? Can God use me? I want to tell you, you can find reassurance tonight that God is still God. And if, if he's come through for you before, he can come through for you again. Maybe not just how and when you want him to, but he will still be the same God in your life today that he was yesterday and the same God he's always been. That's the message. I want to show you that through this study of Psalms 76. Two headings. God has. Heading number two, God can. Here's the first heading. Be reassured that God has. Now I want you to study the Bible with me. Look at verse one and two. Psalm 76. In Judah... Is God known? His name is great in Israel. In Salem also is his tabernacle. That's, that's an old poetic term for Jerusalem. And his dwelling place in Zion. Remember, the, the lament, now follow this, of Psalm 74 was about the people's doubt that God was near and present. Psalm 74 1 says, Thou hast cast us off forever. Okay? But the psalmist makes clear. From the start, hey, God is still known in Judah. Okay, He still dwells in Jerusalem. God's people may have been taken into exile as part of his plan to bring them to a place of repentance. But that doesn't mean God is in exile. You can't lock God up. The physical temple of God may have been destroyed, but God is omnipresent. You can't burn him to the ground. You can't get rid of him. In fact, Asaph goes on in verse 3 to describe what God has done for his people in the very place where the temple lay in ruins. He fought for them before in the past in Jerusalem. Look at verse 3. 
There, very important word, there, where? In, in Zion, in Judah, in Jerusalem. There break he the arrows of the bow, the shield and the sword and the battle. Now, you've got to study with me. He's pointing back to a time in Judah's history when God delivered them from the hand of their enemies. And not just that God delivered them, but that he delivered them there. There. He delivered them where they find their temple in ruins right now. God has come through for them in that specific place before. How so? Most scholars agree that Asaph's referring to a time when God delivered Judah from the hand of the Assyrians. Here's what happened. Long before this psalm was written, long before the temple was burnt here, the armies of Sennacherib, king of Assyria, man, they were cleaning the house all around Jerusalem. They were devouring every city and village in their path. And they finally made it to Jerusalem and they began to encircle the city with a plan to seize it. And that's when, when Israel's Judah's king, King Hezekiah, he called upon God. He was a man of faith. And he even asked the prophet Isaiah to call upon God on their behalf. And as a result, God came and put an end to the war. He fought for his people. In fact, Isaiah writes about it in vivid terms. Here was the result. Then the angel of the Lord went forth and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred and fourscore and five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. God cleaned house of an entire army that was cleaning house. It was such a powerful divine deliverance that the story is told three separate times in the New Testament. Here's the point. God had previously turned powerful uh, armies like the Assyrians away from the gates of Jerusalem. And when it's time, Asaph is saying, he will shatter the Babylonians as well. Now, they might not seem to be, uh, God might not seem to be uh, conquering the Babylonians now. But Asaph's going to make this point, and you've got to get this. It's not because God is incapable of doing so. God has proven himself at the gates of Jerusalem before that he is capable of cleaning house. 185,000 Assyrians with a spoken word, he cleaned house. So, so Asaph's going to write a psalm, and the rest of the verses are going to teach us he can do it again. Look at verse 4. Thou art more glorious and excellent than the mountains of prey. So Asaph's making a case for God's power. And God's people need to be reminded of this. He points to the mountains as a metaphor for God's power. But he said that God's power exceeds the glory and majesty of the mountains. How many like the mountains? Raise your hand. You like the mountains. How many, if you had a place to live, it would be the mountains? Raise your hand. All right, very good. Um, I like to visit the mountains. I don't want to live in the mountains. I don't even like driving through the mountains very much. I don't like high things, and I don't like going fast in high things. So um, I'm not a fan, really, but I like visiting. There's something relaxing, I guess, uh, about the mountains. But the mountains that I'm most familiar with, of course, probably ones you're most familiar with, are the Rocky Mountains. Those are huge. Those are magnificent. When I look at those or I stand up, to, uh, I stand up maybe close to the peak of a Rocky Mountain um, I preach a camp in the Rocky Mountains, and, and boy, it is, there's something majestic about going outside your cabin and looking around, and you're surrounded by mountains. It just speaks God, doesn't it? But Asaph says, God's more glorious than that. That's just his handiwork. Don't think that his art, the art, is greater than the artist. He's a lot more powerful than that. And then he added a little bit of a, a colorful turn to it in verse number four because he says that thou art more glorious and excellent than the mountains of prey. 
He's talking about the animals that would roam around uh, in the mountains, no doubt. And and, and here's, here's what he's saying. He's really specifically talking about the lions, of the mountain in that day. Because, because he's referring in context to how God's power can break the arrows of the bow. And if you will study that in Hebrew, that's a phrase that was used commonly um, uh, uh, when, when they're describing the effect of a lion's attack. And so Asaph is just adding color to his description. And he's saying not only is God more glorious and powerful than the mountains, but he's got more powerful or more power than the lions that you'll find roaming the mountains. The common man that day feared lions more than any animal. The psalmist goes on in verse number five. The stout-hearted are spoiled. They have slept their sleep, and none of the men of might have found their hands. The theme of hands has been through Psalm 74. It's been through Psalm 75, and now we find it again in Psalm 76. In Psalm 74, the theme of hands was when God's people were saying, God, why have you withdrawn your hand? Why are your hands in your pockets whenever people are mocking your name and destroying uh, your house? In Psalm 76, Asaph reassures them that God, with his strong hand, he ends wars. He he, he leaves rebellious armies devastated and so powerless to the extent that they can't even find their hands. Which really can be interpreted, they can't lift their hands to fight back. He goes on in verse 6. If I can find it. At thy rebuke, O God of Jacob, both the chariot and horse are cast into a dead Sleep. God's rebuke, what is that referring to? It's his battle cry. It's his spoken word. It's apparently powerful enough to kill somebody by just hearing that. And it makes sense. If God spoke you and I into existence with his word alone, the entire universe, he spoke into existence, it makes sense that he could speak and somebody die. 185,000 Assyrians in the past were killed when God told the angel, get them. Are you getting the idea that we serve a powerful God? We serve an almighty God. We serve an unstoppable God. How many are glad that he's on your side? Look at verse 7 through 9. Thou, even thou art to be feared. Who may stand in thy sight when once thou art angry? Thou didst cause judgment to be heard from heaven. The earth feared and was still. When God arose to judgment to save all the meek of the earth. What's Asaph doing here? He's summing up the text by reminding us that as powerful as the Assyrians were, they could not stand against God's anger. Before they got to Jerusalem, nobody could stand against them. When they got to Jerusalem, they couldn't stand against God. When God arose to exact judgment upon his enemies and to fight for his people, Asaph said he stilled the earth. He got everybody's attention and not one of his enemies survived his judgment. Now let's apply this a little bit and then we'll get to the rest of the song. I think Asaph is writing this song to reassure God's people again that God has. He has fought for them. He has protected them. He has made things right for them. He has answered their prayers for help. He has. And and, and the truth is for everyone in here tonight, you can think back to some God has moments in your life. Hopefully you can look back and see that God has saved you. Can you, find, can you look back? I don't say you got to know the date, but can you go back to a time in your mind's eye right now where you can see where you were the day God saved your soul? That's a God has moment. If that's the only God has moment you have in your life, that's enough. That's the most important God has moment, that he rolled the stone of sin away from your heart. He took you from that which was dead to that which was alive. It's amazing. Some of you can look back and see that God has healed you 
in the past, Miss Hope. Brother Monty. Miss Pam of cancer. Others in this in this room. You can look back and see that God has provided for you in the past. You got some God has moments when it comes to the area of finances in your life. Got some moments when you're like, I don't know how we're going to make ends meet, but you gave to the Lord anyway, and he gave back to you. So you can look back and see that God has salvaged a broken relationship for you in the past. You can look back and see that. You, some of you have the testimony tonight where your marriage was this, but your marriage is now this. And how dare you take credit for that? That's God. God has done that. Some of you have a, have a testimony tonight of a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter. Just like in Luke 15, they walked away from Christ. But you have a testimony now through your prayer and through your unconditional love for them. God has redeemed their life and God has brought them back home. God has done that. Some of you got testimonies how God has broken the chains of addiction for you in your life and in your past. We heard Brother Scott's testimony at a night of praise a year ago. Do you remember Brother Scott's testimony? If you haven't heard Brother Scott's, he's on the media booth tonight. But if you haven't heard his testimony, you ought to just say, hey, can, can you share your testimony? Because he was addicted to a drug and God broke the, the, the chains of that addiction in his life. He has a God has moment. If you have a God has moment, say amen. What's crazy is when I was writing this very paragraph in my notes on Saturday, I get a text from Steve Astala, and it has a link to a song. This is only, only explained by the Lord. And the song is called Evidence. And so he's like, bro, have you heard this song? I'm like, I'm going to go listen to it. It's an amazing song. As I listened to it, I went completely into worship mode, closed my computer, and I said, this is only God. My mind and my heart is in the depths of what God has done, proving that God can still do it today. And then he sends me this song. I'll read to you the lyric. Your faithfulness has always walked beside me. The winter storms may wait for spring in every season. From where I'm standing, I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life. I see your promises in fulfillment all over my life. He says in the second verse, help me remember when I'm weak, that fear may come, but fear will leave. You lead my heart to victory. You are my strength and you always will be. I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life. I see the fulfillment of your promises all over my life. And then he says, here's the, here's the greatest evidence that we all can look back to. See the cross. Is anybody awake in here? See the empty grave. The evidence, he says, is endless. All my sin rolled away because of you, Jesus. And the last line of the song says this, why should I fear? The evidence is here. Is that not amazing? That last line, why should I fear? The evidence is here. That is Asaph's point in Psalm 76. The evidence is so obvious of God's power and is working in our past that we have nothing to fear about our future. Hey, the simple fact that God has can bring the reassurance we need in difficult times. I was visiting Miss Phyllis and Brother Ken at their home uh, on Saturday, I believe. And Miss Phyllis told me that she knows that she's in for a long journey and uh, a journey where it's going to keep her out of church probably for a while. And, and she's going to have to, without her own choice, she's just going to have to be still 
for a while. And so what she's done is she had Kent buy her a journal. And, and she, she is going to just keep a journal this year through everything that God teaches her through this. And I, I, I said, Miss Phyllis, that's kind of what I'm preaching about on Wednesday. You can call it a God has journal. And you can look back years from now when God brings you through this because God will bring her through. And you can look back when you're going through another trial or you're helping somebody else go through their trial and you can say, let me go grab my journal right quick. Because I actually wrote down some God has moments and you can't miss this. Because sometimes, listen, all the worshiper has is a memory. Sometimes that's all you're left with. You don't have hope. All you've got discouragement. You can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Your life is dark, but the worshiper always has their memory. You can always go back to what God has done in your life. Do you agree with that? And, and then Asaph kind of transitions a little bit. He doesn't end there because the whole purpose of being reassured about what God has done is so that we can be reassured that God still can. That's the second heading. Be reassured that God can. He closes with those three verses, 10 through 12. Would you, would you read it? Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee. The remainder of wrath shalt thou restrain. Vow and pay unto the Lord your God. Let all that be round about him bring presents unto him that ought to be feared. He shall cut off the spirit of princes. He is terrible to the kings of the earth. Now get this. The idea in verse 10 is that each and every expression of rebellion toward God will end up bowing down and giving him praise. Man, I need some more energy coming back at me tonight. I don't know if y'all are thinking or you're dead, but I'm going to say it again. I'm sweating. I'm preaching with energy. I ain't getting no love. The idea, and I know you're tired, but this is good stuff. The idea is that each and every expression of rebellion toward God will one day end up bowing down and giving him praise. Yeah, let's keep that going through the preaching, people. Those are truths we need to say amen to. I'm dead serious. I don't care if you're tired. I'm tired too. I'll match my day with anybody's. I'm preaching with energy. Let's listen with energy tonight. We're talking about God has, God can. Will you act like you believe it? Because there might be somebody in this building that's having a hard time believing that. And by your look and your energy, they, they don't think you believe it either. Yeah, that's a pastoral moment. That's out of the text, out of the box. I love you. But I'm going to tell you, we, we need to listen better. Straight up, need to listen better. Every one of them, listen, every plot, every challenge, every act of rebellion, each and every attempt of autonomy and self-rule by the authority of Scripture will be overruled by God who rules over all. They will one day pay their vows. They will one day bring their presence. The Babylonians of the world, they will serve His purposes. They will bow down to His sovereignty. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Even the ones that rebelled against his very name on earth. But more specifically, Asaph is telling God's people that God will eventually do to the king of Babylon. He said it will be terrible to the kings of the earth. 
He will eventually do to the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, their enemy in the present who just burned down their temple in chapter 74. He will eventually do to him what he has proven he can do uh, or he did do to the king of Assyria who was their enemy in the past, King Sennacherib. You know who I was talking about? This whole Psalm 76 is written with the backdrop of, of King Sennacherib and the Assyrians going to Jerusalem and God telling an angel to get him and he got him and 185,000 of them died. And now he's writing this song to remind God's people to reassure them that because God has brought down the King Sennacherib's in the past, he is capable of bringing down King Nebuchadnezzar's in the present. The people of God, watch, could not say after singing this song, after worshiping with this prayer, that God's delay in judgment and God's delay in defeating their present enemies was because God was incapable of doing it. No, no, no. God had a different purpose. He had different timing for his judgment upon the enemies than they did. Watch, the purpose of this song, don't miss this isn't to guarantee God's people that he will deliver them from the Babylonians in the same exact way that he delivered their grandfathers from the Assyrians. That's not the point. It's rather to reassure him that he can do it when he wants to do it, how he wants to do it. Asaph wanted God's people to sing this song while they were in exile because he wanted to to, to remind them That God is still as capable today as he has always been. Doesn't mean God will. By the way, God wasn't going to to deliver them out of the hand of the Babylonians right away. Study it. They were in exile for years. Why didn't God deliver them from the Babylonians? And send an angel and smite them all. Here's why. They needed the Babylonians. They were in exile in Babylonians and lamenting because of their sin. Because of the rejection of God. Because of their empty worship. Because basically came to church and they didn't mean anything to him. Because of their idolatry. And God said, okay, I'm going to let King Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to let the Babylonians go in, ransack the temple, roar in victory, burn it to the ground, and take you and all your kids in exile. And you're going to cry out to me, how long? You're going to cry out to me, why have you withdrawn? And here's what you got to realize. God is not withdrawing because he's scared of the Babylonians. God is not withdrawing because all of a sudden he's lost his edge and he's he's no longer in his prime like he was with their grandfathers. He's just aged a little bit. He's not as confident in battles anymore. No, God is just as capable for the King Nebuchadnezzar's of our life as he is the King Sennacherib's of our life. If God doesn't give you immediate delivery from this trial, like he did from that trial, don't put God on the hook. God has doesn't mean God will. God has only means God can. And so until God does, you need to be reassured that God can. Just because he isn't doesn't mean he's not capable. And if you lose faith in his capability to take good care of you, then you're going to get bitter. You're going to get angry. You're going to quit on him. You're going to have a sour spirit. You're going to walk away from church. You're going to start minding earthly things. That's why you have to firm up your conviction that God can. How do you do that? By going back and seeing all the ways he has. 
I think sometimes we really doubt that because God isn't, God somehow can't or won't. We get to that point. We know in the back of our head, okay, God, I know you can, I know you can, I know you can, but you haven't, you haven't, you haven't. I just need someone to tell me it's going to be okay. Give me that 10-year-old girl that's been through this before. God, give me some kind of reassurance. And Asaph wrote his people reassurance. And he said, when you're in exile and you're away from your kids and you're away from your loved ones and you're away from your homeland and you're away from the temple and you think that God never will, just go back to this hymn. Go back to this prayer song and let it remind you that for your great granddad, he did. And in his time and his way, he'll do it for you. And that's the reassurance that this psalm is meant to give us. Never doubt God's capability in the present because of what he has proven he can do in the past. I can remember when I was 16. Um, well, let's go back to when I was 14. My brother turned 16. Uh, he played my dad in a game of basketball. One-on-one um, -on -one basketball at, our, at the 16th birthday party. Um, and my dad beat him. It's pretty awesome. In front of all of his friends, my dad beat him to a game of 10 or whatever it was. And so I, I prepared for two years for my 16th birthday because I said, Dad, you're going you're gonna to play me too. You're going to play me too for all my friends. You're not, you're not beating me. So I, I, I saw my dad's weaknesses that day. I wrote him down. I began to go to work. And on my 16th birthday, in front of all my friends, I beat my dad. Now listen, it's not because I was a better basketball player than my brother. Here's God's honest truth. In those two years, my dad lost it. <laughs> it wasn't really that I was better than my brother. It's that my dad wasn't as good as he was two years ago. Hear me closely. God never loses it. God never ages. What he did against the Assyrians you better believe he'll do against the Babylonians. Now, I should say he can do against the Babylonians. What he did in, in smiting King Sennacherib with 185,000 of them, he wanted to write a song and say, in my time and in my way, I can still do that. And I might not do it when you want it because, but frankly, you don't need it right now. But when I know it's time, don't doubt my capability to do what I've done in the past, I will do it today. When you are doubting if God can, be reassured that God has. That's good, man. That is so, so good. Nina and Daniel, Nina and Daniel, why don't you come? I've asked them to, they came early and we learned that song. Um, I don't know how good it's going to be. Um, I know they sound great. Um, but I, I literally just learned this song. And I, I told Brother Steve... I said, I, I can't get this song off my mind. So since Saturday, I just, on my runs, everything, I just had it on repeat. And, and I want to sing it for you. And we might just sing the chorus together. We'll see. Um, but as I'm singing this song, here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to start building up the evidence that God has moments in your life. What has God done for you in the past that you need to be reminded he can still do for you today? At least go back to the day God saved you. 
Go back to the day God freed you from your sin. Go back to the day when God made you alive in Christ. Go back to some God has moments. Let's build some evidence in our hearts that because God has, God still can. Let's do it. history Your faithfulness has walked beside me The winter storms made a way for spring In every season from where I'm standing I see the evidence of your good all over my life, all over my life. I see your promises in fulfillment all over my life, all over my life. Help me remember when I'm come but fear will leave you lead my heart to victory you are my strength and you always will be I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life all over Feel me all over my life, all over my life. See the cross, the empty grave, the evidence is endless. All my sin rolled away because of you, oh Jesus. See the cross, the empty grave, the evidence is endless all my sin rolled away because of you oh Jesus I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life all over my life you see it tonight I see promises in fulfillment all over my life, all over my life, yeah, I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life, all over my life, I see your promises in fulfillment
three, say amen. Why should I fear? Oh, the evidence is here. Stand to your feet. Let's do the chorus, guys. Everybody sing the chorus. I 